So uh, we've w- last week uh, we covered uh, vending machine diets, talking about how the um, spiritual aspect teachers. If you want to go ahead and head back, and then I'll send the kids. We've been talking about vending machine diets uh, last week, and how the spiritual application is so much similar to the physical one when we eat junk food. And kids, you can slowly go back. And so when we eat junk food, we don't hun- uh, hunger for the good things. And so it hurts our appetite for those things are good for us. Well, with that in mind, in thinking about the fact, and if you want to move to closer, if you're happy where you're at, you're fine. With that in mind, thinking about filling yourself with the things that are good for you, um, let's talk a little bit about the things that come out of us, okay? So what you fill yourself with, right, is what will come out. I've used the analogy many times. If you have a tube of toothpaste in the morning, you go brush your teeth, and you squeeze it, and mud comes out. You'd be, what in the world did they, who did this, right? Who did this? There'd be a little shock factor. And oftentimes, Christians, what happens is, we can look really good on the outside, but we filled ourselves with bad stuff, and when there's pressure put on us, bad stuff comes out, right? So, so let's look at one of the, the things. Let's talk about integrity tonight, because one of the core uh, aspects of being a Christ follower is good integrity. Having, having the kind of character, the God-given character, uh, to tell the truth. almost forgot to drink some juice. So, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little example. A wealthy businessman was on his deathbed, really sick. Preacher goes to visit him, and he said, if you'll pray for me, I, I, I will give a million dollars to the church if God heals me. I, I'm willing to give a million dollars if God will heal me. And so the preacher really prayed with him, really prayed earnestly, not because of the money, but just to pray earnestly. Well, the man got better. He, he ended up not dying. And after he got well, the, the pastor let it go for a while, and he thought, well, you know, he made a commitment for the Lord. And so he went to him and said, hey, look, it's not about me, the church getting the million dollars, but, you know, notice you haven't, and you made that commitment for the Lord. He goes, oh, pastor, he goes, that just shows you how sick I really was. We have to be careful. That was actually supposed to be a joke. Some of you are like... That's depressing. Sorry. I told you the jokes are getting worse. Yeah. But we've all heard stories like that, though. Maybe not as crazy, but we've all heard stories. We all know situations where people have made commitments to us and they break them, that their integrity is not intact. You know, God answers their prayers, but they forget part of the deal, right? God, if you'll just do this, I'll do this. You know, I, I, I get to tell you kind of the, the rest of the story about the $3,000 story. How, how many know what I'm talking about? That, that $3,000 that was given, right? So I'm at a meeting for this Habitat for Humanity build that's going on a block from the church. It's something we prayed about getting more involved in things like that in the community, and here it is just down the street. If any church in Centerton should be involved in that, we should. And I go to a meeting with Phil from Thrive at Financial, and they said, good news. Thrive at Financial is giving half the money for the build, so normally we ask 12 churches to give $6,000 each. Now it's only $3,000 each. And they keep talking about this $3,000. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, if you only knew the bills that I wrote out for the architects and engineers this, week, or this month, there's no way I can do that. I mean, it's going to show such a negative number for January that the bank's going to say, man, you guys sure spend more than comes in. I'm thinking there's no way. And they keep talking about that $3,000. So I walk out of that meeting thinking we'll just help in some way with meals or whatever. Some of this you guys have heard. I saw some had not, so I'm telling you. But I'm sitting in the car, 
answering emails and texts, and all of a sudden I get a call from a guy, or text from a guy, that, uh, that his son used to go to church where my dad pastored. And he never really went to church, but his son did. And he says, he says hey, uh, let's meet over uh, by, by Lowe's. Where are you at? And so we go over there, and we're talking about uh, some family members I've been ministering to that, that are related to him. And before we leave, he hands me a fold-up check, says, here, before I forget, this is really why I wanted to meet with you. I get in the car, open it up. I just left that meeting, $3,000. So what do I do? Thank you, Lord, for giving us the money to cover some of those bills we just wrote. But then I call my wife, which is who the Holy Spirit put with me to help me obey, right? And she says, you know what that $3,000 is for? <laughs> After I tell her, tell her about the meeting and everything, I said, well, maybe, you know, God, God might have meant it for that, or he might have meant to help us balance the budget, right? So um, anyway, long story short, you know, we, I, I really did know where it was supposed to go, but um, I put a fleece out. Remember when I preached about Gideon, and he put the, flea, uh, the, he put the wool out, and if it's, if it's dry and the ground's wet, and then he, that wasn't good enough, he reversed it, and God proved to him. So I said, God, um, if you could just show me, and you'll probably hear this again Sunday. I want to make sure everybody hears the story. And Danny knows because they did offering last Sunday. So I wanted to make sure that that money was committed before I found out how the month ended because I prayed and asked God for us to be able to be in the black for that month and be able to give that 3000 And if he didn't, I'd already, I'd already decided. So I met individually with each advisory team member, and they were all in unison we should give it. So before Sunday hit, I knew, even though we hadn't had an official vote, I knew what was going to happen. We had an advisory team meeting Sunday afternoon, and I walk in the office, and Danny, which knows, he doesn't know the amount, but he knows I'm praying for a certain amount, Danny says, hey, what did the offering need to be? And I said, I'm not telling you, how much was it? And he told me, and I broke down, didn't I? Because not only did God meet it, that by the time everything's said and done, guess how much we're in the black buy for January? $3,000. So, and that was even a few extra expenditures that we weren't counting on. I wrote last minute, and it was a little more than 3000 3000 something, but the last offering, last month was probably a record month for New Song. I'm not sure, but if I went back through the whole history of New Song, it's probably a record month for us in giving. And so you know, God kept confirming it so many ways. So I had lunch with a guy that gave 3000 And I said, listen, I know you don't want anybody to know you gave it, and that's normal. I said, but this is such a God thing. I told him the story, and he was amazed. He's, he couldn't believe because... You know, here he doesn't, you know, attend church regularly. I said, I want to present that check. You know, I want to present that check, but I really like them to know the story, and I, I would really like to put a face with it. And he agreed that he's going to go when I present the check to Convoy, I mean to um, Habitat for Humanity. So, so you know, there, here's the thing. We, we put ourselves out before the Lord, and we make a commitment. And here's the thing. I, I could have said, okay, now that's great, but look all that. Look at what God did, all that money. And if we had that other 3000 right, I already said, this is what I'll do. How would you guys feel about me if then you knew that story, but you found out that later I was like, you know what, we, we really can't. We really can't. I mean, I put it out there. This is what I know that God told me to do. So we've all heard stories like that. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, if you want to turn to Matthew, book of Matthew chapter 5. Years ago, <coughs> excuse me. Years ago, a book was published entitled "The Day America Told the Truth." And this is going to amaze some of you, but in the book, 
they published findings of surveys done with thousands of people <coughs> about how honest they are and how much value they place on integrity. And here were the results. 91% state they lie on a regular basis. 91%. 86% said they lie to their parents regularly. 69%, and that one doesn't count for me, mom, dad, just by the way. 69% um, stated they lie to their spouse consistently. 75% say they lie to their friends. And 50% said they regularly called into work sick but were not sick. Some of you would have been glad if I left that last one off, right? Now, I'm not taking a survey this evening like this for us, thankfully, but unfortunately, many people who profess faith in Christ fall into these statistics as well. In fact, in another study between Christians and non-Christians, um, with adults, Christian adults and non-Christian adults, it is discovered that almost the same number of professing Christians stole from their workplace as non-Christians. They found that professing Christians are just as likely to falsify income taxes or to commit plagiarism, give bribes to obtain a building permit. Now, I got to tell you, when we built our house, they were coming to do the final inspection to give us occupancy, and we were happened to be uh, smoking a pork shoulder at the time. And the guy came through, and I did wait till he was done giving us the final okay. And I said, okay, now that I'm not bribing an officer of the county, you know, would you like some pork shoulder? But... You know, some, they, they, would, uh, they would bribe to obtain uh, through building permits, ignore construction uh, specs, um, illegally copy, copy computer programs. The building specs, I remember when we had the apartment complex fire, um, the construction company doing that found that that was built in 2004 when it, when it should have been built to certain standards and that that fire would not have spread through everywhere, but they didn't put in firewalls when it was required. So... <coughs> People, uh, Christians stealing time from work, exaggerate products uh, and their capabilities, and selectively obey the law. I mean, we all know that uh, 35 mile an hour really means don't go over 50, right? <clears throat> so hopefully you're not counted among these statistics this evening, but what does Jesus teach us about having integrity, about keeping promises? Some of them may make us snicker because we know we know that we're guilty of it, so it's kind of a a reaction that naturally happens when you feel embarrassed about something. You want to lighten it, and so we snicker about it. But Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 33-37 say this, Again, you have heard that the law of Moses says, Do not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. If you say, by heaven, it is a sacred vow because heaven is God's throne. And if you say, by the earth, it is a sacred vow because the earth is his footstool. And don't swear by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even swear by my head, for you can turn one hair because you can't turn one hair white or black. And just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Your word is enough. To strengthen your promise with a vow shows that you, something is wrong. Wow, that's pretty direct, isn't it? That means if you're having to work to convince somebody that you'll carry through, then something's wrong in your heart, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I swear by Hillary Clinton, right? Shouldn't even do that. You know it's going to be null and void, right? No, I'm kidding. 
That was for Jim's benefit. I'll get every one of you by the end of the sermon, all right? So, Leviticus 19.12. See, there, there are three very explicit Old Testament passages of Scripture that teach us about lying. And this first one, Leviticus 19.12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am Lord. All right. So you guys okay with not getting mad at me if I, I, I split a hair here? Um, OMG. In our culture, it's pretty, um, it, it's, it seems pretty harmless. I hear it used in church. I hear Christians use it. But let me, let me let you think about this for a minute. What are you invoking when you say, oh, oh my God? Oh, I really mean, oh my God. Oh my God, what? Are you asking him for something? Are you addressing him? Are you... Are you um, praying, or are you using his name for a filler? I, I, I don't know what kind of spiritual aspect that may, what that may turn into in your life. I don't know how, how God's going to respond to that react. I just know that his word says, don't swear falsely by my name or so profane the name of your God. I am Lord. When I was a kid, they used to sing, um, hallowed be your name, and I thought they were saying Howard. And so I'd be like, why? I thought his name was God or Jesus. Why? Who's this Howard guy? Is he like the Holy Spirit's assistant? Is he executive assistant to the Holy Spirit? Howard be his name. You know, if God's name was really Howard, then you could probably say, oh, my God, because you're not taking his real name in vain. But we know him as God, God our Father, right? And so when you say, OMG, oh, my God, you know, you'll see my kids cringe. And you'll see them go, because we don't allow it in house. We don't, well, we don't allow it. <clears throat> when there's... 60 and I'm in the nursing home, I'll phone them up if I hear them use it and say, you are not allowed. That is just, that is because I want them to honor the name of the Lord. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. There's so many things I believe that we do because culture has desensitized us to it, that we do against God, that I think we probably pay for in our lives, and our walk with God, that we have no idea what we're bringing on ourselves. I think sometimes when we're, we're, we're flippantly using the name of God, and then we don't hold up to our promises, and we, make, uh, we swear to things, or we make promises we don't keep, I believe we're really uh, breaking down God's favor and his able, uh, ability to bless us in our lives because it's something that separates us from him. There, there are some people that can't figure out why they can't get closer to God, but yet they don't take anything seriously from his word, and they, they just treat it as if it's just kind of, oh, that old preacher thought that was so bad. But they don't study for themselves that God uh, takes his name very seriously. He takes promises very seriously. It's part of our integrity uh, to hold those things reverent and dear so as we read these passages we can see that god is placing great emphasis on being truthful about having integrity if we make a promise if we make a vow then we should keep that vow now listen there's times things fall through that you thought you're going to be able to do and, and i want you to know that it's, it's not that you should um, be on edge feeling like every time you tell somebody i'm going to do this most of us have learned the terminology try and we insert it often I'll try to do this, I'll try to do that, because we are on this path of feeling like we need to have integrity, and so the reason that word starts kind of creeping in is because we don't want to be dishonest with someone 
we're trying to be honest that, hey, I may or may not be able to do this. Someone was talking to me Sunday about something. We are kind of laughing that someone had made a commitment to, they're, they're trying to get them, they said they should be able to say yes or no to this. And the person said, you know what, I am absolutely certain that I'm going to try to be there. And that's really what they said. I'm, gonna, I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to try to be there. And, and I don't know, I think Nathan, didn't you hear it? When we're talking about, so I, I'm not sure if I said that quite right, but it's really funny because here, here, this solid answer with the word "try" in there, and and you know, it's okay to be honest that we may or may not be able to make a commitment. It's when we make the commitment and give the indication that it's our word, our bond, we're going to do it, and then we don't. I mean, really, you can get in the habit of having bad integrity just from like saying, um, "Yeah, I'll try to go with you guys next weekend." And in your mind, you're thinking, hmm, you know, this week sometime I'm going to find a reason not to go, or I really don't feel like going, or I don't really have much intention of going, but I want them to feel like I'm going to try right now. But your word is your bond. You've already said, I'll do it, and then you come back and say, no, I'm not. And it will impact your relationships because people begin to where they don't trust you. They'll begin to think, well, I'm going to ask them, but I know that I only have a 50-50 chance or maybe a 30-70 chance that they are going to actually come through with what they say. They get to where they can't trust your words because they never know whether you're going to back, back out of what you said or not. So God is telling us not to quickly enter into making a promise or swearing an oath without first considering the consequences of not being able to fulfill our promises. He's trying to warn you, don't get in the spot to begin with. Now, does that mean you should never commit to anything? The apathy club, right? They'd have great meetings if anybody would ever show up, right? Um, but it, it, or the complacent club or whatever, just, yes, you need to be able to make commitments. But be careful about making commitments that you already question whether you'll be able to keep or not. The writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 5.5, 5, it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So we're seeing through Scripture. There's a, it's not just one Scripture where we can pick that apart, but it's pretty clear we should not make vows that we can't keep. So, Think of it in this context, in the context of marriage. When a minister performs a wedding or a renewal of the vows, right? See, I told you I'll hit everybody. Now, everybody look at Robert and Wendy, wave. This is all about you because you're the ones most recently here. Andrew and Chelsea, you're, you're in luck. Somebody had something to do with weddings after you. So, this man and woman should not enter into marriage, this marriage covenant, lightly. That's part of the vows that I generally would put in there that my dad said in my uh, wedding as well, this man and woman should not enter into this marriage covenant lightly. Why do I say these words? Because when we make a vow, we should do it, having considered the cost. The reason there's so much divorce in the world today, beyond those things of abuse and other things that uh, are uncontrolled by the other person, but there's a large part of divorce that happens because the original commit was taken lightly. They looked at it as just them and the other person making a commitment to each other, and they've never really kept commitments to anybody, and so it's just one more thing that they could change their mind later. But, but the marriage was not created by man, nor the state, nor the government. It was created by God, and it is a co co covenant to God. Even more so than you would say, I want to follow you, be my Lord and Savior, and you're saved. You know why? Because that is a continuous process of you following the Lord, you made the commitment, right? But you could, you could break that one too. But when you make a marriage vow to someone else, God is removing, if you will, the veil of when 
what he, what he would have intended for us not to get involved in, into any sexual immorality or anything. He's saying now it is of God. All these things you share are of God, and you're one flesh. And so it's a very, very serious commitment. It's a very intense commitment. And, and our world has lost sight of that, that that is one of the most intense commitments we can make is the marriage vow. You, you remember when I talked about, I'm going to get off this subject a little bit here, but Remember when I've talked so much about someone coming into a church with the wrong lens? That if you've been hurt by another church, and let's break that down a little bit. Usually there's a couple names attached to that. Usually we say, I've been hurt by that church, and it's maybe the pastor or it's like a couple people in the church. If we made a list of who the church was that made us mad, it's a few people, right? Not the whole 80 or 500. And so we, we got hurt, and we didn't handle it right. We just left. We ran away from the situation. We go to another church, and guess what? When we're in there, we're just kind of apprehensive. Is this church going to do what the other church did to me? And, and what I've told people, and I've sent some people back to their previous church and said, you've got to go make it right with them before you can come here because you can't be here and healthy if you haven't made it right there. And in some extenuating circumstances, it's not appropriate to do that, but many times uh, people have come, and it's been a good thing that they went back and they at least got it out on the table whether they felt good enough they could go back to that church or not. And so in the marriage, what happens is, is when it's so easy for us to break a commitment with one, we think the grass is greener on the other side, and we'll just find someone better than the previous person. And they go out. problem is they never resolved it right, because if they did, the marriage would have survived. And so they come in the next relationship with the lens of, now, I remember what the previous one did to me. Now, they start out kind of like when you're dating, everything's rosy, right? But then when reality sets in, you're like, oh, no, they're starting to do the same things. I've been through this before, right? What it really is is sometimes God is trying to help us to, um, and like I said, an unbelieving spouse and a believer, there's all kinds of things in this, and it's kind of sticky. But, but there's a lot of times when it's just God's trying to help us learn how to get through something in, wrong with us. And it's manifesting because when we're put with other people, um, there's some things with us that don't mix well with others. And he's trying to hammer that out. And we know from biblical examples or sometimes that, that God releases us from that commitment because the other person is, is uh, not um, holding up to their, their end of it. But I find it interesting that Jesus' teaching about keeping our commitments comes immediately after having taught about adultery and a divorce. Immediately after. So like in this sermon, if Jesus was preaching, right, he's talking about adultery and divorce that moves right into integrity and keeping our covenants. Now listen, I have heard plenty of other pastors address divorce issues. And what I want to stop and clarify here is that there's some that have been hurt by that. And if we were to make a little patch and label everything we've done wrong that the Lord would like us to do different, we wouldn't want to walk in here with those patches, right? So some of us, maybe we didn't do everything right. Maybe the other person was more responsible, and we'll always see it that way. Maybe they really were. Maybe they really were the reason it didn't ended. So this isn't for you to sit here and let the enemy bring condemnation on you for something that happened in the past. But it is something to maybe help you, because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is about looking forward. Condemnation is about looking backwards, right? The Holy Spirit to say, look, uh, you're, you're, you're starting to struggle in this marriage too or you're starting to struggle in this relationship too, not just marriage, in, in this dating relationship, in this business relationship. You're struggling again too and it's because you have an integrity problem. 
You, you make promises you can't keep. You, you give the indication that you'll fulfill something that you aren't really sure you can. The scripture also tells us to keep the integrity of our heart. In Psalms 15, a Psalm of David, it says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to slander others or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise uh, persistent sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who do not charge interest on the money they lend and who refuse to accept bribes to testify against the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. So time after time in the Old Testament, we hear the prophets crying out to God for someone, anyone, who would live with integrity and do the will and the work of God. You know, here's the hardest thing. If you are a, a talker like I am, you tend to talk when there's empty space in the room, when there's uh, uncomfortable moments, that's your filler. Other people, they can stay quiet forever. They don't really care if anybody talks. It is much more of a temptation and difficult for someone who is a, a big talker or a lot of talk to keep their integrity because you talk yourself out of it every time. And so I'm having to learn that there are times when I need to just be still before the Lord and not have to have something to say in the conversation because it protects me from putting myself into a, an agreement I can't fulfill or something else. When I talked about my schedule earlier and, and, and needing to have a structure to it and, and more appointments and things like that, it, it wasn't a, a matter of the other person is wrong. It's a matter of I realize that I have a hard time telling people I have to be doing something else right now. And, and so um, I tend to just talk around it and everything, and it's uncomfortable. And you know what? It doesn't help relationships with others. And so then I end up before service saying, hey, this, this is what I need to do. But, but they begged God, the, the, the Old Testament, they, they begged God to send them to people who did not lack truth in their hearts, just like we talked about on Sunday. The generations coming up, they want to believe in absolute truth. They do. They, they don't know if it's God or they don't know if it's Buddha or they don't know if it's, it's atheism or what, but they want the absolute truth. And when the church of, of, of God, when, when the people who belong to God, God's children, don't have integrity, they will write them off. And they'll say, well, that's not the absolute way. Jesus is addressing this because it's the same problem then as it is now. People hungered for truth, and it's only the people of God that show that kind of truth to others around them. So we have to have integrity. The law was clear about its teaching concerning lying and stealing and making oaths. It was pretty simple, not to steal, not to make false oaths. Simple, right? Well, no. As usual, the religious folks got a hold of the law and started saying, just how much can we get away with before we commit sin or break the law? Remember I talked about the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about trying to correct that kind of thinking. You know, you say, it's, you say I, I don't murder. I'm telling you, don't even be the kind of person to get angry. And so... Jesus is trying to tell them it's about your motives and your heart, not about whether you can follow the rules. So the Pharisees and scribes begin teaching the people something like this. You can make and break all the promises you want with your neighbors, your friends, your, and your family, and not commit sin. But if you make a vow or swear an oath to the Lord, then you can't break it or you commit sin. Just don't swear by anything. 
Don't even swear by your head because you can't change the color of it, right? I don't know what that meant in the culture time there, but, um, you know, don't, don't swear by anything, even yourself. I mean, you can't, you can't always control that. So they thought, just never make an oath and you won't sin. And Matthew 23, verses 16 through 24 says, Blind guides, how terrible it will be for you. For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple. You can break that oath. But when then you say that it is, is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. They're coming up with their own rules. Verse 17, blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? Verse 18, and if you say that you take an oath by the altar, and it can be broken, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind, for which is greater, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by the heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. How terrible it will be for you, teachers of religion, religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income but you ignore the important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so that you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. Then you swallow a camel. I, lo- I love the way Jesus uses <laughs> some imagery there. <laughs> I'm picturing this guy, you know, water is like, oh, good, a gnat. And he's over there, you know, trying to get a camel in his mouth. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. You, you don't worry about the huge things by, what's he saying? You're leading people into sin. You're giving them an out to break their oath in certain senses. You're making those rules. You're leading people astray. That's worse. And then all you do is worry about whether you tithe on everything. So what people are doing was making promises to others and then swearing to keep that promise by saying, I swear it by the temple. Or I swear it by the throne of God. I swear by the earth, by Jerusalem, by the altar, by my head. Basically, their oaths were meaningless and they had no intention of ever keeping their promises. Today, we hear someone say, I swear on my mother's grave. I've heard that. You may have actually heard someone say it and they were serious. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my life. I swear on the Bible. It's not your life to give as a pledge. It's God's. And, and I don't even know where the whole my mother's grave thing came from. I don't know where that became a serious thing. Jesus says, this is what you have heard being taught and being said, but I tell you not to swear at all. I mean, in my life, not my mother's grave, if I want to swear anything, I swear by the piano that my mom stared me down by every Sunday when I was in trouble. That would be a serious matter, right, Mom? I swear by that holy place where she, with a laser beam from her eyes, corrected me Five pews back, right? I swear by it. That piano's in her house now. I can't walk in her house and feel at ease anymore. It's like they have the scenes. I walk in, I was like, good grief, this is just playing over what I went through. Jesus says, this is what you have heard by being taught and by, anyway. So Jesus is not telling us to never make promises. What he's telling those listening to him is, uh, no matter... uh, is now that no matter what you swear by, earth, temple, your head, your life, your grave, your mother's piano, the church's piano, whatever, it all belongs to God, and therefore all promises are made 
before God, and you must keep them. No promise is meaningless. Somebody's counting on you. I, I can tell you I can't have, have anybody in my closest circle of friends, and I'm not cliquish, and I don't try to, you know, I'll be your friend and not yours, and I like you better than the other. And, but I tell you, I can't, I, there's something about it, I can't let anybody in real, real close if I can't trust them, if I can't trust what they say, if they don't keep their promises. That's why it bothered me so much about my schedule. I'm like, there's some people I have to let down. When my schedule goes awry, I've made promises. Just talk to the banker that the last three weeks. I said, next week I'll have the bank package for you. You know, I was feeling convicted uh, doing this message because I broke my, my promise to him three times. And it should bother us. Be, be careful about making the promise before making it. And sometimes we just say things off the cuff to get people out of our hair. That's wrong too. Uh, my wife, I forgot, married, and if you've heard me say this to you, I'm sorry. But she's told me when I'm on the phone, and I think I got it from a certain family member, but when someone's talking a long time and I don't have time to talk any longer, well, I don't want to keep you on all day. She said, you know, that's really lying. Because it's not anything to do with you want to keep them on all day. You need to get off the phone and you say, well, I need to go. I said, but that sounds so harsh. That that's That's rough. And and, you know, I don't want to do that. So, hey, you know, I don't want to keep you. But am I being honest? Am I really having integrity that what I say I mean? Because really what I mean is you're, you're telling me something that's taking way too long and I need to be on to something else. And maybe I need to not be in such a hurry, right? Maybe I need to be more about relationships, go back to the community lesson, right? And be willing to be on the phone longer. But I'm telling you, some of you have good phone hands. My arms go numb. After a while. And after I've done this four or five times, and if you're still going, I'm going to say, I love you and the Lord, and we're going to heaven together. But I'm hanging this phone up. That's probably more honest, right? Okay. Especially driving down the road, which is often, you know? I'm like, eh, eh. almost hitting people, hitting kids and children and grandmas, and you're just like, come on, we're going to kill people. Let's hang up. So be careful about making the promise before you make it. Think about that with your children. If you make a promise and don't keep it, what does that say to your children? And this one, ouch. How many times Jen had said, well, Dad said he was going to be able to do this, but now that's changed. And am I teaching them that doing ministry means I can't keep my word to my family? That's, that's where you have to really think, folks. If your job, if other responsibilities, God has put you in that family, and that is the closest unit you have in responsibility to God himself. It is God, your family, then your church, and then everything else. And if you break promises to your family regularly, then no wonder that you have those bad feelings in your, you, you, towards each other, those fights, those arguments, the, the tension in the home. No wonder you have it because you're not being honest and people can't trust you. It says you can't be trusted. So before you promise them something with no intention of doing it, your children, your wife, your husband, whoever, stop and think about it. That includes disciplinary action. Don't promise that you're going to do something. Don't will. Don't keep saying, if you do that one more time, I'm going to spank you. Don't do that, or I'm going to spank you. Don't do that, or I'm going to put you in timeout. Don't do that, and then you don't. Because all you've taught them is your word means nothing. And I'll do whatever I want. So does that mean that you have to, uh, pastor saying you got to spank your kids all the time? You got to beat your kids? No. I'm saying if you're not going to carry through, then you need to come up with something else that you'll follow through with that's effective. 
if it's if it's not in you and it's not your family, it's not the, the thing that you guys do, and whether it's spanking or timeout or corner or whatever, you need to keep your word. And you need to discipline your kids. They're, those are two givens. Keep your word, discipline your kids. It's a, how you do that uh, is a different story, but you have to keep your word. Or they'll just learn that they don't have to trust your words and they'll do what they want. So Jesus simply tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then Jesus tells us anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Wow, does he really mean that? That when we say things flippantly and we don't mean them, that that comes from the evil one? Well, guess what? If the Lord is the Lord of truth, the author of truth, right? He's not the author of confusion. He's not the author of lies. Then when we aren't having integrity, guess who is influencing us? And we're taking it hook, line, and sinker. So basically, Jesus is telling us that when we make the choice to lie, steal, break our vows, make promises we never intend on keeping, we're doing the work of the devil, that we're working for the enemy. So as believers in Christ, we don't want to be a part of the devil's work, so we just give people an honest answer. Just be honest from the beginning, right? What about you this evening? Can those around us trust what we say? Can the people we work with take our word to the bank? I'm not that old, really, 43 years old, but I grew up in a small town in Nebraska until about sixth grade when we moved here, about age 10 or 11. And I remember going down to the A&W sometimes, and there's a bunch of farmers sitting around, you know, at the A&W, and you can still go over and get your Frosty mug out of the freezer, right? And, and uh, there's just a, a different world then, and I remember that, Farmers and people who, who grew up where integrity is important, you'd often see them shake hands. They, if they're asking someone to do something for them and they agreed, they'd shake hands or they're agreeing to do something. And that was their word is their bond. They shook hands on it. That meant this is an unbreakable commitment. And I'm sure that somewhere along the line, anything official like buying a vehicle or something valuable, some paperwork had to be completed. But once that handshake took place, it was a done deal. So the idea of integrity and not swearing oaths also points to how we handle our finances. Are are we taking out loans and swearing to pay them back without ever intending to do so? Uh, And I recognize that we can have full intention and something goes wrong, and that's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus tells us that our righteousness is to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that was commonplace for them to break those type of commitments. So is this where we're at today? Is this the same truth of the church today? We have to ask ourselves and be honest. There's a pastor who had been voted into a church that had a very bad reputation in town for buying stuff on credit and not paying. And somehow they got the mentality that everyone owed the church a donation. And one of the first things he did was go around to those stores and make sure the church was all up to date and then speak to the owners and ask for their forgiveness. Did he make the problem? No. But he had to be the one who would restore the integrity of the church. And as a church, we must live up to our promises. Listen, if if someone in our fellowship did something that lacked integrity, and and I'm aware of it, and and they won't go make it right, I I will go to that person and say, I'm sorry because I'm a shepherd this group of people and and they aren't having integrity with you and i'm sorry i didn't do it i may not be able to correct it fully 
Only maybe they can, but I'm sorry, because it's important. It's important to the Lord, and it's important to us as a body of believers to have integrity. And as a church, we must live up to our promises. The new songs made promises in the past uh, uh, to win the lost and disciple, and God's helped us to fulfill that promise. To be self-sustaining, a nice letter we got from Pastor Jonathan in support uh, of our financing from the bank said that in over eight years that they've never that we've never had to have outside help to meet our bills, which is true. And that is a, a blessing. We also agreed we received thirty thousand dollars to get the church started from the church multiplication network, and it's not really a loan, but it's expected and agreed that you will pay it forward back to to them so that they can plant another church with it. And I was rejoicing the day we were finally had paid that $30,000 back, paid it forward. And so we're about to make another big commitment. We're about to uh, ask a bank to loan us a considerable amount of money and, and that we will repay it. And you know what? Listen, this wasn't really intended in the message. It's not in my notes. But I had this thought. I'm like, I'm going to go sign on the dotted line for not just me but a whole bunch of people saying we are you know some of you weren't here when we did this but we voted that we'd move forward the building project I, I intentionally did that because I wanted to be all of us saying we will carry through and you know what not all for wrong reasons or whatever but there had been a few people that 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 left quickly after that but it's hard for me not to think you know you just said this is what you wanted to push forward with. You just said that you're here. And, and it's not just the vote, but some of them had conversations with me. And, and, you know, that's hard. I'm a human. It hurts when someone breaks what they say they're going to do. And so it's important to me that we hold um, ourselves accountable that if we, if we say we're going to do this, that we stick with it. I'm also on my end of it because I'm leading you into this. Um, you know, I don't know how this is i guess maybe i talk too much sometimes but you know one thing we voted to to, to explore on sunday with the board is a a insurance policy on me for the church as the beneficiary now i'm taking a chance some of you may off me in my sleep you know uh, because it will benefit the church but you know i i know from when we went through pastor jim passing away there's a, a significant amount of time years the church went in decline number wise and financially terribly and it's not just us. Any church that's lost a pastor they love, it's the same trend. And I said, huh, there's got to be some way that if I lead you in debt that's, that God decides to take me home early. I know God can take care of things, but there's got to be a, a way God provides, you know, so smartly we could do that. And so found out key leader policy. You know, something happens to me, pays off all the church debt, maybe even plus some, depending on what we do. And the church is able to, to relax. The church building gets finished. Or if we're already done with it and the, the loan gets paid off and you have time to breathe and find who God wants for your next pastor not be in a rush like we were before we got to find somebody to steer the ship or it die it's declining right so so there's there's so much we can look at when we talk about our integrity about when we we say we're going to do something I am pledging to you and I did at the beginning that that God has called me to build this building and to finish it and if there's any way possible I can ensure that even in my death the building is finished, then I'm going to do it, right? I can't make that decision my own, but I'm thankful the church board, the advisor team, they agreed. That's probably a wise decision. So, so when we look at our integrity, it's not as simple as just 
whether we say yes or no to something. It's whether we should have even made the commitment. Can we hold up to what we say? Are you letting the Holy Spirit guide you in your decisions and promises? Are you quick to dismiss a promise or make one without ever intending to keep it? If you're a believer in Christ, you may need to repent and make some things right. You, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to put a watch before your mouth and, and help you consider before you make making promises. Lord, put an angel to watch over my mouth and cover it when it needs covered, right? Like Daniel and Lions Den, treat me like a lion, shut my mouth, right? When you need to. If you're here this evening and you're not a, a believer, which I know we all are, and when I did my notes I was praying we'd have some that, that would come in that would need the Lord. But if you want to know that you are helping the kingdom of God with your integrity and your honesty, and you're saying, you know what, this has been a problem for me in the past, or uh, it's something I've struggled with before, or I, I'm concerned that maybe I'm making promises I can't keep, then only the Holy Spirit can help you with that. I can't. Only the Holy Spirit can. So we're going to take a few moments and just pray as we get ready to close out that God helps our yes be yes and our no be no. And when we need our mouths shut before we make a commitment we can't keep, that, that the Holy Spirit helps us with that. Amen? Let's just spend a few quiet moments with the Lord.